our factory builds fully finished product. So I'm shipping down the road a 65 foot long by 16 foot wide by 13 foot tall giant cube that's gonna stack like a Lego. And that thing has windows, doors, siding, uh, potentially the inside is 100% done. Flooring, paint, all the inspections are done. This is the Money Hole Podcast. My name is Chris Lamb. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and download if you like what you hear so that other people get the messages. Today, I'm here with my good friend, Dan Ferreira. Thanks for being here, bud. It's great to be here. When's the last time you did a podcast? Uh, A week. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'd like to try to record. I actually try to record every week on my own. Oh, your own podcast? Yeah, well, <clears throat> so... Historically, I've always had a staff of about a hundred, mm-hmm. and since coming here to start a new company, I've been down to like maybe like under a dozen. Okay, so I don't have the audience to rant with. So then I figure I better just record it because it <laughs> kind of just bubbles out every week of like a new thought on something or like, man, this is really important. I need to, you know, and I always feel like I need to share it. So yeah. like, now I'm just recording them, and I don't know what I'm gonna do with them. We'll see. Well, you got to get them out there, man. Podcasting is a very interesting thing right now. I mean, obviously everyone knows and listens to podcasts, but we were just talking earlier about, you know, the traditional mediums that people would have to use, the gatekeepers to get a message out there. And now you just fire up a camera and And it's great. I I did a seven hour drive this morning and, um, you know, it was books on what was recorded books for a while, Mm -hmm. obviously making phone calls, but then, you know there's infinite amount of content yeah. and it's in the, it's in whatever format you like. You want yeah. 30 minutes of Chris Lamb. You got it. You yeah. want three hours of, you know, I listen to hardcore history. I listen to Jocko. It's, it's just mm-hmm. like, what, what mood are you in? Yeah. What do you need? You know? And, and boom, you've got a world-class content creator or, or motivator or education in your ear. It's, yeah. it's phenomenal. It is. It's, it's, it's really useful to have information at our fingertips. I, I want to jump. So I traditionally with this podcast, we usually kind of talk about people's belief systems around money. It's very relevant right now, um, but I'm a mortgage bro- banker, broker. And so one of the reasons I wanted to have you here is because of the issues with housing right now. Right. You know, you and I met a while back, you used to live down the street from me and, you know, your company, U.S. Offsite and Homestead ADU, um, I think companies like yours and and some of the other emerging housing solutions out there are really going to be interesting for people to watch because we're all looking at this housing market right now. We're all wondering, how is this going to get fixed? How are we going to see affordability come back? We've got rising costs. Right. We've got very limited inventory. Now we have expensive money and everyone is expecting that prices are going to come down and and that hasn't happened. And so I'd love to hear just if you could share a little bit about your companies, what you guys are doing sure, and how that could be one of the solutions to the housing market. Yeah, it's, it is an interesting environment. Um, I got into the housing industry. I mean, I got into business ownership in the built environment. I'll call it that because it kind of spans architecture, structural engineering, manufacturing, construction, supply chain. Those are all the kind of spaces I played in, but I got in it in, right after 2008. So mm-hmm. I got in at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So there's, um, you know, people at the time said, oh, this is when the best things are created when, when it's flat. Yeah. And you know, I'm hungry got to feed my family. So I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm thinking about how to feed my family. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, I look at it now and I go, man, the last few years up and to the right, like crazy, as we hit the money printer, it really begins to distort 
everything. Yeah. And so I go, wow, if you try to find real value right now, it's, it's, it's really difficult to do. And so, mm-hmm. um, I think there has to be a return to real value. And if you go, okay, if money's expensive, the money printer's on, so everything's inflating, all the assets are inflating, um, incomes aren't keeping up. Mm-hmm. We don't really have a mechanism to get incomes to keep up. So mm-hmm. yeah, we we really have, you know, a math problem here. Yeah. And there isn't really a solution. The only solution, you know, we say in housing, when you build things, you can either be fast, cheap, or high quality, but can't be all three. And I think in general, that statement has truth, but if you can move the threshold of efficiency through innovation, you can have all three. You can actually improve all three simultaneously, but you can't do it with the same math. You have to have a different, a different way to do it. Mm-hmm. So for instance, you know, if you want to build a hot rod in your garage, it's going to take a certain amount of time yeah. to ship all the parts there. Right. So, but if you want to build cars on an assembly line, radically different delivery method, yeah. radically different results. So you can affect speed quality and um, cost all at the same time because you have a different delivery method. So to me, after 15 years plus of what I call design build, kind of from concept to completion of projects all over California, my, what I, the conclusion I came to was we can't change the delivery method because when you do design engineering building on site, there's so many limitations. There's, well, one, there's a, the financing, right? So you can't finance it till you can appraise it. You can't appraise it till we have a permitted set of drawings that you can appraise off of. So there's these linear conditions that shape the whole delivery method, the permitting and entitlement process with the local jurisdictions, um, how many people I can get to a job site, how efficient mm-hmm. I can be, the inspection sequence you have to follow with the city county. So as long as you're playing by those rules, you're like the guy building the hot rod in his garage. You can't change it. And so yep. my thought is we have to change the delivery method. And so Moving to Reading five years ago, beginning to construct a 200,000 square foot facility that can essentially build a million square feet of housing, ship it a thousand miles in any direction, and shipped about 70% of the entire project into a manufacturing sequence rather than a site build sequence. Mm-hmm. To me, that is a key that um, it's not just for me, it's for everybody. So that's my big play. That's my big contribution is we have to change the delivery method. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. And and for people that are listening, you know, I followed that, but basically what he has done is he has found a way to build high quality houses um, on a site that they will ship out. And these aren't, you know, trailers, these aren't right, manufactured right. homes, like these are high quality incredible, you know, super high end amenities that you wouldn't even know. You wouldn't, in fact, you shouldn't, you should actually, the way you would know is it's higher quality. It's higher quality. Higher precision. So imagine all the site variables, it's 110 out there. Um, The quality of talent, the training you can do in a closed environment versus a site environment. Quality control. Quality control. I can build you a 200,000 foot apartment complex out in the boonies with precision because I'm going to do it in a factory. So now your location doesn't dictate the talent you get your location doesn't dictate the cost of construction anymore. Like the Bay area versus here, we're going to take our economy in Reading and we're essentially going to export our blue collar uh, culture of pride. And we're going to fix a bunch of dysfunctional coastal environments with that. That's, that's another component of it. But um, yeah, everybody thinks of factory built as cheaper, but you know, you think of a factory built car as cheaper. No, it's precision. It's beautiful. And so we, we just have to learn from all these other 
um, all these other spaces, automotive is the easiest to point at that, that this method is really the way we get it done. Yeah. So you guys are building houses on site, but you're also in the ADU world, you know, and that's right. kind of a newer world. Uh, you know, we, I've talked, I've talked with a lot of people about California specifically and Washington mm -hmm. as well. Uh, here in California, we've got Senate Bill 9, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which allows someone that buys a primary residence to build up to two ADUs, depending on the lot. And one of the ADUs can be two units. Right. And, you know, in a lot of the bigger cities like Sacramento, the Bay Area, I mean, they're putting these houses on very small lots or making them vertical oftentimes. Yep. And I've seen them. They're really nice. I mean, they're small houses. And so tell me a little bit about the ADU and what you know yeah. about the future of California, because it seems like a lot of their emphasis from a legislative level is trying to push mm -hmm. people in that direction. Yeah. So inside the factory environment, what we can do is we can build anything up to five stories. So our limits aren't on the use of the building. They're more on, hey, stick built construction with wood can only go five stories seismically in California. That's mm -hmm. really a limit, hard limit. So any building up to five stories, any building that has, and there's other design criteria, but we don't have to do a standalone unit. It can be 20 units together, 50 units together, two, one. So what we did was um, we said, you know what? If you want to build 20 units, we'll, we can design, permit that, and build that in the factory. That's easy. But if you want to build one, we really can't offer an efficient experience if each one-off is getting design engineered and built individually. So we came out with a standard line of them. It's mm -hmm. just, hey, if you choose these, here's the price, boom, it'll be on your lot in four months. Yeah. Which is great. All yeah. we have to do is make sure it fits. So the big trend here, if you rewind about, gosh, four or five years is, you know, I think it's 57 counties or something like that in California mm -hmm. alone, fourth largest economy, then every city, I don't know how many hundreds of cities. So every city and county has their own planning and building departments by California law, they have to. That means they make their own ordinances. They make their own restrictions. It's a mess. It's a freaking mess. So you travel 20, you travel, you know, there's one little area that we build for, like in San Luis County, we have like eight cities, one county, but then even within the county, we have seven planning zones. Yeah. So you can literally move a mile. There's this one area that has like seven water jurisdictions within a mile. Yeah. You know, so you could imagine that throughout California, this amazing economic machine, yeah. we've complicated it so much that a developer, a builder, or even a consumer should be able to add value to their property simply, but it becomes so convoluted mm -hmm. that it just shuts down activity, right? And so what California did, which I never thought they'd do, which I'm proud of, is they created for the first time what we call uniform planning regulation. So across the whole state, we have one rule. And what that did, it took about two years to work out. And that with these Senate bills is they, and the latest one is even an, an iteration on that, is they basically went to every city and county and said, city and county, back off. Because yep. they used to restrict by lot coverage, by parking requirements, by, I mean, any city county could make up anything they wanted and make it impossible. Yep. So California comes in and says, here's a uniform rule anywhere in the state with very few exceptions. You know, if there's water stuff, there could be some issues, but yep. now it's green light. And mm -hmm. the cool part is these things don't just empower developers, they empower homeowners. Yeah, they do. That's the fun part. Yep. So now a homeowner has a way to become, I call a boutique developer, which yeah. throughout history, everybody always was. Yeah. 
it only got surrendered to these larger corporations recently. Yeah. So it's, I think it's an exciting time of empowering people again mm-hmm. in California, Washington to um, create assets, create value. I do too. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about the ADUs. Um, so, you know, the, the biggest problem in the, in, with the ADUs right now that we see, mm-hmm. you know, we have found that the cost to build them is getting a little bit better. And we are seeing more people that are seeing the value in building one and possibly renting it out. The problem is, is that there isn't a lot of financing mechanisms for them to be able to do that. You know, if someone were to buy a house today with 5% down, right? they not only do they have to have the capital to be able to build an ADU, but they also have to work with their current mortgage company and get, you know, get the permissions and to, to do that sort of improvement. Right. And so there's still... I still think there's some work ahead to be able to open this up and we're yep. still in the beginning stages of this, but I wonder what it's going to look like five years from now. It, it's moving quicker than I ever thought it would. It's still early, but the fact that the government, actually there was a McKenzie study that was done in 20, I want to say 2020. They came in and said, let's study California's problem. And anyone can find the McKenzie study. It, it, it was so accurate. And it basically read um, by 2025 or they, they threw out, I think it was a five-year maybe 2030, they, they had a couple thresholds. They said back in the late teens that by 2025, we're gonna have a $3 million ho- uh, housing unit gap in California. Like this is getting worse. And this is because we have lack of participants on the labor side. We have, um, you know, so we have a supply issue and the supply issue is caused by lack of participants. Um, it's caused by um, lack of growth in small towns. It's caused by, um, a, bu- a bunch of things, but it, one of the one main things they said when they, at the end of this long report, you can imagine McKenzie action items, government, you're the problem. Yeah. You take too long and you make it too complicated. <clears throat> so even people who want to get capital to deploy, they're stuck. And so, um, so the fact that they remove that hurdle in some fashion is amazing. That's yeah. a starting point. Now innovation can start. And I think the next piece we have to see is, a lending shift. And you know better than anybody, like the whole, in my opinion, the whole lending market is based off of the secondary market. Like what can you, what what can you move? Right. Yeah. But we're going to go full circle there because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are the government. Right. So So they're still in the way, right. In some way. They're still in the way. I mean, when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were taken back in um, conservatorship, you know, in fact, a lot of the people in my industry were represented by a few different groups, but the Mortgage Bankers Association is probably the most prominent one. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's a lot of them pushing to try to tell, you know, take Fannie and Freddie back and privatize them because um, they've made billions of dollars right. over the last, you right. know, and, and, you know, they're, they're, they can't blame Wall Street this time if right. something goes sideways. So, yeah, the lending world is is a very, uh, it, it's no different than, you know, any other problem with the government with housing. Right. It's just trying to get the needle to move there and get people to come up with smart ideas on how to, you know, protect our financial system, but also create solutions to address housing. I don't, you know, I don't so see them doing that. I think if, you know, if I was a lender and I had a private portfolio, I wouldn't be loaning on ADUs because you're in a second position. You're trusting a homeowner to get a hundred fifty to two hundred thousand dollar construction project done. That's a very weird size to mm-hmm. build. You have to mobilize thirty trades in your backyard to do the small scope. Um, very easy to screw it up. Very easy to go over budget. Yep. So there's not a lot of competition around that small scope. 
So you see a lot of people gun shy around it. So you kind of have the one-off players in the space, but you can't, it's, it's such a small scope that's so broken up that it's very difficult to, um, it's like calling a plumber out for one hour. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a few hundred bucks. There is it's a way. small, right? There is a way. And my friend up in Washington is doing this. Uh, the, the, the basic terms is a condo conversion. Okay. So what he's doing is he, someone will buy a house in a good area that is prime for an ADU or two ADUs. Mm-hmm. And it has to be in an urban area, which mm-hmm. most of this area is. And basically what they'll do is they'll purchase the property, get a mortgage, and then they'll apply for the ADUs, which is streamlined now. Right. They'll also apply for a condo conversion of the property, right. which allows them to carve out a lot or two lots. So now they have an exit strategy. Within the lot, right. They will record a refinance. Mm-hmm the lot line adjustment for lack of better terms, which is a condo conversion, rezoning the properties into condos and the permit permits on the ADUs at the same time. And now they have the loan on the property with the house and they could have one or two lots that are now right. free and clear. Right. And then from there, they have collateral towards a construction loan, a private money loan right. because they have free land. Right. So we're basically and, dicing up assets to create more assets that's exactly. and creating some value along the way. Right. We did a bunch of these, this community I build for down on the coast, for some reason, when they laid out the town, there was these, you know, like maybe 80 foot wide, but like 300 foot deep lots. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why these super deep lots. So one by one, this beach community, they all turn into PUDs and yep. they would be three, four lot little condo yep. things with a little shared driveway. And so- the whole town converted to it eventually. Yeah. And so, you know, there's there's some rules around creating minor subdivisions and and PUDs. And so the average homeowner that's a little over their head as far as a development path, um, and there's certain lot size you have to maintain, et cetera. This pretty much opened that same concept up for everybody. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, the whole fabric of our urban communities is going to change yeah, and it needs to change. It does. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of negative press around smart cities. When I went to school, that was the big thing, smart development, smart development. And the idea around it was like, stop sprawling. What we did in the seventies and eighties in Southern California was not good. You know, we don't need a big enclosed mall out on the outskirts of a town. Like that's not good. So um, I think the, the, the pendulum swings back to, Hey, let's be intentional. Let's create some density. Let's, let's reimagine the cities. And obviously that can go too far. Yeah. But right now, um, the weird thing for Californians is like, there's this thing, these private property rights. So you yeah. can kind of do what you want within the rules and everyone's got to get used to that freedom again. It's yeah. going to look a little messy for a while. Yep. It's going to be a lot of opportunities. And, you know, if you live in an old downtown neighborhood, it's going to get denser. Yeah. And, you know, I think on the other end of this movement, it's going to be beautiful, but between now and then could be, could be interesting. Yeah. And I think what's important to take away from this um, is that there is an insane opportunity in California right now for Mm -hmm. people that are looking at it and paying attention to some of these uh, Senate bills that are coming out. Hey, Matt, I would love to hear a little bit about, you know, some of the conversations you're having with Maui right now, you know, obviously I, I, uh, I have a lot of friends that live in Maui. I, I, I used to have a place there. We go there all the time. It was obviously a heartbreaking story. Sure. Um, it still is. It's horrible. Um, but you're, you know, you're talking with people about yeah. some of the solutions that you have with your company. And I would love mm-hmm. to hear that. And on top of that, one of the ways I'm interpreting what I'm hearing is based off the car fire. 
I'm looking mm. at the car fire. I'm looking at what FEMA did. I'm looking at the way the private citizens reacted here. Um, I'm looking at the FEMA money went through the Catholic housing. I forget all the acronyms. Mm -hmm. They got 10 mobiles back after five years or whatever they got done. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, same in paradise. It's, 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 um, unfortunately the path to rebuilding a town that's been wiped out is, is there's, you don't really have a good case study. Right. It hasn't been done well yet. And we've experienced that paradise experience that. So one thing I've been learning in my career is just, um, you can have a great idea, which some of us get all the time, but if you don't have the right people, then it really, it really, there's no way to execute it yep. and you shouldn't execute it. It's almost irresponsible to move on a great idea unless you have the right team. Right. So I do tune in though, when the people start to line up around an idea, I go, Oh, okay. So, um, up here we have several people on our team that have history with in Hawaii. I personally don't, I would love if I did, but mm. I don't. <laughs> and, um, uh, so when, when that happened, you know, immediately a lot of our team came to me right away and said, what can we do? How can we do this? You know? And, and I just, you know, honestly, I just started praying about it. I'm like, if we're supposed to help, you got to line up the people. And within a few weeks, and even this week, this latest week, I'm on the phone with, uh, private developers that have been there for decades that are great local people, um, churches that are on the ground floor that are just helping people that have connections. And what I'm listening for, which has been really fun is, um, what do the local people that I'm not, what do they, what do they need and what do they want this to look like and how can we support that? And so the best thing we've come up with so far is, um, you know, FEMA's kind of taken over. They, they got to get a clean bill of health. So there's a lot of slow moving parts, yeah. but at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, back to my understanding of planning, zoning, building permits, lending, insurance, all that, right. This kind of multi component and you go, okay, you got underinsured people. You've got um, you get a very dynamic situation. You, they've got to get money. Some of them have to borrow money. You know, um, they have to work with the insurance. They have to get planning, zoning things worked out. So again, I come back to they have a uniform uh, planning rules around ADUs. Mm -hmm. It's different than California, but they have them. Yeah. They also have a, they also call it an ohana, like a yeah. family house. Yeah. Ohana is like an ADU in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like I was reading their planning code with a friend the other day and. Um, there's both. They actually allow for both. There's ADU, which is allowed to be used publicly or or to the to non-family, and mm -hmm. Ohana has to be used just for family. I didn't realize how much multi-generational living there was. Oh yeah, it's like every, it's it's like that's the norm. So our idea is um, we've been working on a disaster relief product that is the same as our volumetric solution, where we see our normally our factory. Let me back up. Our factory builds fully finished product. So I'm shipping down the road a 65 foot long by 16 foot wide by 13 foot tall giant cube that's going to stack like a Lego. And that thing has windows, doors, siding, uh, potentially the inside is 100% done. Flooring, paint, all the inspections are done. So that's what we do domestically here on like in the mainland. Mm -hmm. To get it over there, that ain't going to work. Everything's got to go over by ship. Yep. So we basically reinterpreted it and said, we can flat box this thing hmm. and we can we can ship four 300 square foot houses in a C train and it will go up in one week, two guys, battery powered tools only. And basically they can build an off grid ADU in one week that is real property. So this is where I get excited. There's all these silly ideas out there of transitional housing things, but if it's not real property and it doesn't actually go on your balance sheet, right. you haven't, you've just expensed 
it, it really hasn't created longevity, wealth creation, lendability, all the essentials, yep. right? Yep. So um, everybody can park a trailer on the land if they want. Good, that's fine, but you're not creating real assets, real right. property. So ours is real property, lendable, appraisable, but it's still rapidly and quality and quality, high quality, high quality. And so we're reinterpreting a couple of designs from Hawaiian feedback to say one of their concerns is that they're going to lose their cultural identity. I'm like, okay, well, what does a 300 square foot house feel like to that family? So we're we're kind of circulating some design mm -hmm. documents right now to make sure that if we do end up shipping a hundred over, that um, it looks and feels like what they would need it to be. I mean, every community can drive around and see like HUD housing from the sixties apartment yep. complexes and yep. the projects in the major urbans. And you're like, mm -hmm. let's not repeat that. Let's try to do something that actually fits yeah. the community, you know? Yeah. And the problem in, in Hawaii is, you know, you talk about affordability here. I mean, it's, it's just, brutal, it huh? is, it's really hard. Yeah. It's a lot of the Hawaiians have been pushed, you know, to almost like, I hate to say it, but these, the outskirts of town, you know, and sure. they can get free housing through Hawaiian housing if they have some blood, but it's not, you know, it's definitely not on the beach, right? you know, it's, it's kind of in a different right. area. And then even just the locals, you know, the people that are serving you food at restaurants, you know, those people, it's really difficult for them to find housing over there. So uh, that'll be interesting. Yeah. I'll be yeah. watching to see how that works out for you. I think in the trend, in this whole theme of like, we want to empower local people to build their communities into the next phase, whatever that is, yeah. in a way that is beneficial for them. Yep. The last thing we want is someone else making decisions, mm -hmm. some corporation, BlackRock, rolling up housing. Like we want local people to build wealth for generations and build communities that reflect them. And I think Maui is like a very acute example of that. And, I, and I'm really rooting for it to Me too. come out the other side. Yeah, I would love to see how that works out. Um, we're going to close here in a second, but you mentioned BlackRock. Um, I don't know how much you know about BlackRock, but it, I put this video out the other day about this kid who, you know, built up a portfolio of $9.4 billion in real estate by house hacking. Okay. And it's just a cool story, Okay, you know, and there was a lot of comments on there and I understand where people are coming from, but one of them was, um, you're the problem with housing. You're the, because of you investors trying to be greedy. Mm. And usually that's coming mm. from someone who's rented, who probably sure. hasn't even tried to buy a sure. house. Right. Sure. But what I responded to him was, it's like, you know, you should Google BlackRock <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of people don't know, but you know, that, that company is buying, they, if they keep doing what they're doing, they will hold more yeah. like 50% of residential real estate in America within a short yeah. period of time. They also, I watched a podcast the other day and, and I looked this up. It's real. They, it doesn't, it's, they're not going to fall into monopolization because of how they're doing it. Right. But they're one of the biggest shareholders of the S and P 500 Vanguard, yep. the biggest yep. index funds in the world. They have the biggest shares of, if you were to add it all up, yep. It's they're stronger so, than every nation in America financially, other than America, I think China yeah. and maybe India. This is probably like another two hour podcast, yeah, we, but we, I will say this. I feel like the world is in a crisis right now yeah. of control and aggregation, which BlackRock's a great example of that yep. versus decentralized um, organic growth, I'll call it. And the danger of the control, and this is the financial take on it, is that when you hit the money printer, there's people can read about this thing called the Catalano effect. I might be mm -hmm. saying it wrong, but the closer you are to the money printer, the more enriched you get. When you when you 
hit the money printer and print money, whether you send it overseas or domestically, whatever. If you're holding assets, you get richer. Mm -hmm. If you're a W-2 employee with no assets, you get poorer relatively. BlackRock is very close to that. Them and others are so close to that money printer that every time it prints, for every dollar you and I get enriched or or anyone, they're getting, you know, I don't know, some multiple. And so I think I think the world, we have a moment here where we say we reinvent the way that we live so that it doesn't aggregate. Um, and I I believe this the decentralized backside of that would be the most beautiful renaissance of creativity. Yeah. Or the alternative is it all collides to the top and <laughs> It gets yeah. ugly. Yeah. So I'm rooting for we have, us. We have history that tells us how that goes. So, yes. Well, we won't, we'll, we'll save that for another yeah. conversation. Uh, I appreciate you chatting with me today. If someone wants to find information about Homestead ADU or UF Offsite, we're going to put your links in our description. And uh, man, I'm so pumped for what you're doing. I'm rooting for you. You know that it's been doing it for a long time. And that would be so incredible if you were a part of the solution in Maui, man. So I love it. appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and download, and we hope you enjoyed this episode.